0: Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, I believe we're at a very critical point in our nation's uh, history and in a time that we're in. Um, There's so many things going on politically, economically, socially in our nation, And I think it's so important that we remember as a church that we are to pray for our president and for those that are in authority. You know, it's not about who you wanted to be in office or who you voted for or didn't vote for. It's about the welfare of our nation. And God has given the church the authority to bring blessing to our nation. And I think it's very critical uh, President Trump is facing very big decisions. There's a lot of voices around his life. There's a lot of voices around the presidential office. And uh, I know this, that in our own individual lives, our success is dependent upon us listening to the right voices. It's the same thing for President Trump. The success of the decisions that he makes, the choices he makes, and the way he leads is going to be affected by the voices around him. And so I want us as a church family and as just a ministry to pray for President Trump. And I want to encourage you, not just now, every day pray. I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray for the right people, the right voices, the right counsel to come to him and that he would be able to know which one is the right counsel because you know he's got all different directions coming in toward him and he's got to discern which is the counsel of God for this nation. So I want us right now to pray. Father, we're so grateful for our country. We so appreciate all the wonderful things about our country, the freedoms that we possess and that belong to us. But we know this, that uh, our country has enemies. The devil hates our country because this is a place that, that the gospel is free to go forth. And so we know that, that the devil hates this place that he would do everything he can to injure our nation. But we know this, that no weapon formed against us can prosper as we take our place, as we use our authority. Jesus, you told us that you have given us the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So Satan, we bind you in Jesus' name from your plan that you would work against this nation. Any plan that you would work against our president, against our government, against our people, we take authority over it. We bind it in Jesus' name. We say the blood of Jesus is against, that, is against any plan of the enemy. But the blood of Jesus protects and guards us from all that the enemy would do to harm and to bring jeopardy to this nation. Now, Father, we know this, that President Trump is in a position to hear so many voices. There's many voices around him, much counsel. We pray, Father, for the right people to come, the right people to speak the right counsel to be given, words of heaven to be given to him, Father. And we say that we bind the wrong voices. We bind the wrong counsel. The people that are wrong with wrong motives, we bind them from being able to have the place of his ear in Jesus' name. But Father, we thank you for giving wisdom. We ask you, to give wisdom and we thank you for that wisdom that you give to President Trump and Vice President Pence, that they recognize the counsel of heaven, that they recognize the voice of heaven, the counsel of God that would help and bless this nation, that they would know that counsel and that they would be bold and firm to recognize that counsel and to follow that counsel in Jesus name. Father, we thank you for our leaders. And those, Father, that are without Christ, we pray that you send laborers across their path in Jesus' name. We pray for all of our leaders that they would fulfill the plan of God, that they would make decisions that would bless the people and be in line with your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Now I want to remind you, every day pray this. Pray that that President Trump would hear the right counsel, the right words, that the right people would come. Amen. Every day, pray that. And you know, there's something else that uh, I didn't pray specifically, but I want you to pray uh, in your daily prayers uh, nation for, for the nation. This is something that Dad Hagen used to do. He said, Satan, I bind you. You take your hands off the social, the political, and the economic arenas of our nation. So that's what I do. Let's just do it right now. Satan, we command you. We bind you. You take your hands off the social, Of the political, off the economic arenas of our nation in Jesus' name. And we loose the power of God. We loose the power of God into the social, the economic, and the political arenas of our nation in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the divine help that you give this nation, that angels are working to bless and bring benefit to this nation in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. So I remind you every day, till Satan take his hands off the social, Political and economic arenas, and also pray that that President Trump had the right counsel and the right words spoken to him, and that he would have the wisdom to recognize that counsel and the boldness to stay with that counsel in Jesus' name. World Harvest Church family, I am so glad I get to be with you again this Sunday. I only just get—I miss getting to see your face, though, and I miss you so much and. I'm just so grateful, though, that we still have this opportunity to be together and just know that um, I'm praying for you every day and love you, miss you, and to the partners and friends of the of the ministry who you normally watch us online, I'm so glad we still get to be together. We love you and we look forward to what God has for us today. Uh, let's go ahead and pray before we go any further. Father, I'm so thankful for this privilege of getting to come together with these precious people Father, we're so grateful for your word that anchors us. We're so grateful for your word that is the same. And in times that change so much, we're so grateful that everything about you is unchanging. It anchors us and stabilizes us, and we're so, so grateful for your word. Your word takes our life and sets it on course, and we're believing today for answers, for clarity, and we're thanking you that we will hear words from heaven on earth today, and we give you thanks. And everybody said, Amen. Uh, Before we go any further, we want to remind you that we have our prayer conference that was scheduled for April the 14th through the 16th, and we're still going to do it, just not in person with all of us congregating. We're going to be online. So April the 14th through the 16th, make sure that you make a note of that and you watch us online there. That's going to start Tuesday night on uh, April the 14th, and then on Wednesday and Thursday as well. Wednesday and Thursday, we have 10 a.m. and 7 p.m., and uh, so there's five services all together. We don't want you to miss them. And get ready for those, and we have—we uh, believe you'll be blessed by them. Uh, before we go any further today, I want us to go ahead and receive our regular tithes and offerings, especially for those of you who are part of the church family. This is a time for you to bring your tithe plus your offering and then also those of you who are watching online, friends and partners of the ministry who you're not part of the World Harvest Church family, but you're still part of the Defrain Ministries family. We want you to know that uh, if you want to give an offering, we're, we're so glad and blessed to receive that. We want to let you know, of course, there are three ways that you can give. You can give online right there on on the screen. There's a place to give online. Uh, Text to give. uh, You can do the text to give option and the code you will use for that is WHC. Or, of course, you can always mail it in. And so one of those three ways, if you would prepare and uh, give that way. Uh, While you're doing that, I want to just encourage you. I want to go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10. I want to read to you. Uh, it, It reads, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became four riverheads. So this is talking about early on. When uh, God created the Garden of Eden, and then he put Adam in the garden. And so in verse 11, it says that the first riverhead was named Pishon, And it is the one, now that, remember this is what God is recording. It is the one flowing around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. Verse 12 says the gold of that land is of high quality. Bedellium, and I believe that that's pearl an onyx stoner there. So God is saying and telling Adam and letting, letting him know uh, there are certain places in the garden that have wealth stored. And why is he telling him that? Because he wants him to go get it. So we can see this, that God's not opposed to to us being uh, wealthy. He's not opposed to us having supply because really what God is doing here, the first mention of gold in the Bible is God telling man where it's located. If God didn't want man to have it, why would he tell him where it's located? He's giving him a hint, hint. This is where it's at. You can go get it. So what we see about God is that God did not create man for the earth. God created the earth for man. So God didn't, when he had when he, it was in his plan to create a man, he did not first create the man. He first created the garden. He made it uh, full of supply, full of animals, full of everything man would ever need. And once that had been done, then he placed man in the garden. What's that mean? God put supply there before man's need ever showed up. And so we have to remember this. No matter what our need is... God has already created a supply for it, but it takes our faith and sometimes putting our hand to something before that shows up. And so we see here that God loaded the earth with abundance. For Adam and all men that would come after him would have enough. And you know, people are so concerned about the condition of the earth, and no doubt you had to take care of things. But I will say this I don't believe that the supply of the earth will ever run out until man is off the earth, because God created the earth to bring a supply for men. And so, God wants us to have abundance, He wants us to have provision. And he wants you to know that your provision is prepared even before your need shows up. And so, man, the thing is, God put the gold and all these precious stones, that's talked about here in Genesis, he put it in the garden and if he didn't want man to have it uh and the wealth associated with it he wouldn't have told him where to find it. Now we know this man thinks in terms of dollars and cents but look how God thinks. God thinks in terms of gold veins of gold. I mean, he thought in in large terms. He wasn't just thinking of, you know, just a little bit here and there to take care of your need. He was telling him where a gold vein was. He wasn't just telling him where enough for the mortgage for this month is. And so so God thinks in, uh, in terms of abundance. We need to think in terms of abundance. Um, then I want you to go with me, if you would, to Psalms chapter 78 and verse 24. I want us to, to read something there. You know, uh, Dr. Summerall made a statement. Dr. Lester Sumrall, he said, The streets of heaven are made of gold, if necessary, just to meet your need. God would send some of it down for you. And people think, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know if God would take of the resources of heaven and bring it down for me. But I want us to read in Psalm 78 and verse 24. It says, and God rained down upon them, speaking, this this passage is actually speaking of after he had delivered his people out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness. And remember, God led them to that wilderness, but he led them there so they could only pass through. He didn't intend that they stay 40 years. That was man's plan, because they wouldn't move forward with the plan of God. They ended up staying in the wilderness for 40 years. But even while they were in disobedience to God's plan and staying in a place where they were only meant to pass through for for 40 years, of course, you can imagine there are millions of Hebrews that needed food, they needed water, and God took care of them. And it says about that time, and it says, and God rained down upon them manna to eat and gave them heaven's grain. Now, this is the Amplified Translation. Verse 25 says, Everyone ate the bread of the mighty. Man ate angels' food. God sent them meat in abundance. So, this is what I want you to see that when man's need was so great and there was no food out there for them in the wilderness, there was no water. God created resources for them that had never been, but when it came to food, He took a portion of heaven's supply and rained it down to earth. Now, think of that. that and I say that not because I think that God's going to do that—that that He's going to—you're going to wake up one morning and God's going to have put uh, something from heaven in your home. But what I'm saying is this: God's abundant God's abundance is so far-reaching that if He had to, that He would take of heaven's supply. To bring it down to heaven to take care of you. That's how committed He is to take care of you. And that's what I want you to remember. And so no matter when it looks like you don't have enough, there's always something on the earth of God's resources to take care of you. But not only that, if he had to, he would have to, he would take of heaven's supply and heaven's resources to take care of you. Because God's care for us is unending, and it is not going to be interrupted by anything that goes on in the earth. Around us, God will take care of us. So uh, I want you, if you would, take your offering and uh, hold it up before the Lord as a family. There, and let's release our faith over our ties, over our offerings, and let's just take God at His word that if He had to, He would bring of heaven's resources down to earth. That we're not going to do without supply. That's how committed He is to our supply. Father, we're so grateful that we can know what your word says, that you would do whatever you needed to do to take care of us. We rest in that supply. And we call all the provision that we need. Father, I join with the congregation. I join with our partners and friends. And I join with them in calling that all the supply that they need during this time, more than enough comes. Father, not just enough, but you're the God of more than enough. And so we believe you for more than enough. We say all the money they need comes for their their utilities, for their mortgages, for the payoffs, for every single need that they have. We call the supply to come. And we thank you, Father, that no matter what shows up, we have a supply for it. No matter how avenues may change in our life, jobs may change, resources may change, but our supply is unchanging. So we call our supply to us and we say, Satan, you take your hands off the money that belongs to us in Jesus name. Angels, you go and you cause the money to come and all the money will come. And Father, we believe that during this time that we will not fall behind financially, that no family will fall behind. We thank you, Father, for abundance. And we say that on the other side of this season that we're in, that we'll come into increase. We'll not suffer financially or economically, but we it will be a time of increase for every church family. In Jesus' name, we believe you for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want you to get your Bibles and I want you to get your notebooks and and, uh, follow along with us. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, I want us to read together. It says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, if he's redeemed us from the curse of the law, then he has redeemed us from everything associated with that curse. So it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then it tells us how he did it, being made a curse for us. So he took our place in the curse. The curse that was to fall upon us fell upon him instead. And it says, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So it's telling us when did he take that curse upon upon himself is when he was crucified on the tree. And the reason he did it, we see in verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So every believer, every Christian is no longer under the curse. They are now under the blessing. Now that's what we need to talk about. That's what we need to speak about. If we go back to the Old Testament and we look, what was the curse of the law? It was a threefold curse. The first of it was spiritual death. Well, that is separation from God. So we're redeemed from spiritual death. The second thing that was under the curse was sickness. Sickness is under the curse of the law. So we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Sickness, disease. The third part that we're redeemed from is poverty. That poverty was part of the curse of the law, but we're redeemed from that. So Jesus took our place in it. Now that we're born again... There's no curse on us. No, and I want you to understand, there's no generational curse or anything on us. And people will say, well, you know, uh, it seems to me that things are passed down from generation to generation. Well, the Word says that we're redeemed from the curse of the law. That's part of the curse, is that there could be a generational curse. We're not under that curse anymore. And people will say, well, it seems like if I looked at somebody, somebody in their family may say... Well, I have a grandfather who died of a certain condition, and then my father died of that, and then I have uncles that died of that. And so that, to me, looks like a generational curse. Let me just say it it to you this way. The devil works in patterns. And he will work in patterns in people's lives. Once you're born again, you're not under the curse. What what killed your daddy and your grandfather or, or other relatives does not have to be your future. You're redeemed from that. And that's what you have to keep in your mouth. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. And the devil will try to work patterns to make, to make you think that you're still under a curse, but you're redeemed from it. You know, when I look at the life of Joseph, now you'll remember when it talks about how Jesus, when he came into the earth, uh, Mary Mary became pregnant. Of course, Joseph was not going to marry her because, of course, he found out she was pregnant. And an angel of the Lord came to him and gave him instruction about that. But if you'll remember from the time that Jesus was, that that his birth was announced until after they came to Nazareth, there were four different times that an angel appeared to Joseph and gave him direction of what to do concerning Jesus. What I want, I'm saying that to tell you this, God works in patterns. It was a pattern of how God led Joseph by an angel coming and giving him instruction. That's a pattern that God established in Joseph's life. Well, in the same way, the devil imitates God. He, he will set things in patterns also. He will attack in patterns, but that doesn't mean you're under the curse. The devil will operate in a pattern to try to make you think that there's a curse on you, but you're redeemed from the curse of the law. So uh, I want you to also go, if you would, with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. It says this, Who hath redeemed, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We belong to a different kingdom now. And so in this new kingdom, there's no sickness, there's no disease, there's no poverty, there's no lack. Now part of the difficulty with so many Christians is they still think in line with the old kingdom. We're part of a new kingdom. Before we were born again, we learned how to think and talk and operate based on the kingdom that we belong to. That's how That's how come we have to renew our mind with the word of God. We have to take on the thoughts of the new kingdom, take on the ways of the new kingdom, take on the actions of the new kingdom. And this is why uh, Paul said, neither give place to the devil if we think wrong. If we act wrong, if we uh, speak wrong, we give place to the devil. Now listen, if we if we speak wrong, we speak doubt and unbelief, we don't come back under the curse because we're redeemed from the curse. But we do open the door to the devil. And that's what Paul said, neither give place to the devil. The devil cannot take a place in you. You have to give him a place. The devil can't do to you anything he wants, anytime he wants. But what he does, he listens for words that we speak that would give him the opportunity or actions that we take that would give him the opportunity to attack us. But that doesn't mean we come back under a curse. It means that we opened the door to the devil. But listen, as Paul said, neither give place to the devil. So if we gave place to the devil, we can take back the place that we gave to the devil. If we opened the door to the devil, we can again close the door to the devil. And so when we look at someone who's not born again, someone who's never received Jesus as their savior, the reason they're sick and the reason they're broke is for one reason, they're still under the curse of the law upon man. They still belong to the wrong kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. But for us as believers, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. So if a believer becomes sick, If a believer comes into financial difficulties, it's not because he's back under the curse. It's a different reason for the believer. And the different reason for the believer is that they gave place to the devil. And so we want to learn how to not give place to the devil, how to keep the door closed to the enemy because we're redeemed from the curse of the law. We belong to a new, new kingdom. We don't belong to the kingdom of death anymore. We don't belong to the kingdom of sickness. We don't belong to the kingdom of poverty and lack. We belong to a whole new kingdom. So we have to talk, operate in line with that new kingdom. We have to make sure we're not giving place to the devil. Now, my husband, uh, years ago, was conducting a healing service in our church. And uh, as he was, he had taught on healing and then he had ministered to the sick. And uh, when he did that, at the end of the service, he turned to me and he said, Nancy, you have something by the Spirit of God. Well, I didn't know I had something, but I had learned that uh, if I just move in faith, that God would meet me. And so I got up from my chair and I went up to the front and I took hold of the microphone. And when I did, I began to speak in other tongues, and then I interpreted back into English what I had said in other tongues. That happened three times, and uh, while, while I was doing that, the interpretation back of what I had said in tongues was this, that God was giving us some insight, and he said this. He said, there are three ways that my children can open the door to the devil. Now we know this, there's probably, there could be more than three ways, but he was spotlighting and emphasizing the three primary ways that we can give place to the devil. And so he said, "This there are three primary ways that that the believer opens the door to the devil and gives place to the devil to attack us. And so I want to take those three ways this morning and share them with you. Um, Because this is something given by the Holy Ghost, it needs to be repeated time and time again. My congregation has heard me teach on this and they're going to keep hearing me teach on this because anything that the Holy Ghost says must be repeated over and over for us to walk in the light of it so that night in that healing service the spirit of god gave us the three primary ways we give place to the devil or open the door to the devil and the first way he gave us was this and we find that in mark chapter 5 verse 34 and i'm going to read out of the king james translation this passage is dealing with the woman who had the issue of blood if you'll remember she came and she pressed in the crowd Uh, to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And when she did, she was healed. And then at that point, when she gave testimony to Jesus that she had received her healing, Jesus said to her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The Amplified Translation of that verse says this. This is Mark chapter 5, verse 34. It says this, Go into peace. And be continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily disease. Now, look at that. He said, go into peace and be continually healed. Now, see, she had received her healing, but he was telling her how not to lose her healing. People will think wrongly sometimes that, well, if God heals me, I'll always be healed. Well, see, you have an enemy out there. He wants to steal from you. Everything that God has ever blessed you with. So Jesus doesn't just want you to be healed. He wants you to hold on to your healing. That's why the word tells us hold fast. And so he's wanting us to hold fast to everything that we receive from him. So Jesus was telling this woman who had been healed of this issue of blood. He was telling her go into peace. Don't leave peace. And be continually healed or whole from your distressing bodily disease. He's giving us a clue. He's giving us insight of how we can lose healing. And this is what the Holy Ghost told us that night by the Spirit. Is He said this, that my people can lose their health or open the door to the devil by losing peace. That is such a huge key. Because it says in John chapter 14. Verse 27, Jesus stated, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he tells us how not to lose that peace. How not to let that peace be interrupted. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So he's telling you, if you become worried, if you become fearful... If you become doubtful, if your heart becomes troubled, he's telling you that it's going to interrupt the peace that belongs to you. Now, Jesus was telling this woman who had been healed, he was saying, go into peace, meaning this, that if she loses her peace, then that becomes an open door for that sickness to come back on her. Now, when Jesus said to her, the first thing he said, go into peace, I have to wonder, is that how she lost her health to begin with? Is that what opened the door to the devil on her? Did she become worried? Did she become fearful? What did she do? Did she do something regarding the loss of peace that opened the door? And so he was telling her how not to go back. He was giving her her prescription to stay in health. Don't lose your peace. So that is so important that we don't lose our peace. That we, we don't let our heart be troubled. We refuse to worry. We refuse to get into fear because if we lose our peace, that is an open door to the devil. And he will attack us. Now see, I so appreciate the way Jesus worded it. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. He took the peace that, that it was what governed him. That exact same peace is what he gave us. So it can govern us, that we're to be governed by peace. You know, we're not to be led by fear. We're not to be pushed by fear. Uh, The word tells us that you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. So God leads with peace. God never leads with worry. He doesn't lead with fear. So sometimes people become fearful at different circumstances in their life. And they think, well, maybe God's trying to tell me something. God is not using fear to tell you something. God is not using fear to guide you. He's not using fear to lead you. We're led by peace. If it doesn't have peace attached to it, God's not participating in it. So this is what Jesus was warning this woman about. To stay in health. To keep your healing. Stay in peace. And so this is such a huge key for us to realize because peace is to govern us. You know, um, years past, uh, we owned a golf cart, and we didn't play golf or anything, but we lived in an area to where you could go, drive your golf cart around the community. And so we had a golf cart on it, and uh, we would get on that. And we would drive it up and down the roads and stuff, and uh, it was, it wasn't public roads. It was private residential areas, and you could have hills on it that were, you know, quite steep. And so when you would go down a hill on that golf cart, that there would kick in, there was a governor on that golf cart that would limit the speed that if you went down a hill that you would not gain and accelerate so much that you would lose control of the golf cart. There was a governor on that golf cart to keep it from running out of control. Well, that's what peace is to you. You're led by peace and it's a governor that will keep you from being, uh, your life going out of control because you're led by that peace. It keeps things from going out of control. It will hold you steady and hold you consistent when circumstances are trying to push on you. I mean, There are circumstances, all kinds of circumstances that will show up that will try to get you to act or behave a certain way or make a certain kind of decision. And it will get behind you, so to speak, and try to push on you. But peace won't allow that to happen. When you're operating by peace, you're not running out of control. You're remaining steady. You're remaining consistent. And Jesus said that his peace, he gave us to govern and to lead us in this life. And so... We are to we're to make sure that we're not being led by anything other than peace. Now, my husband went home to be with the Lord in October of 2013. Now, in 2011, God spoke to me two years prior, and He said to me, "All I want you doing is practicing peace." Now, I'm not the type that I wasn't one to worry. I wasn't one to fret a lot. Just naturally, my own makeup—I don't have a natural bend. Toward being an anxious type person. My personality, I'm pretty laid back. And so when God said to me, All I want you doing is practicing peace, I knew that what He meant was any thought that doesn't lead you to peace, get rid of it. Any thought that troubles you, resist it, refuse to take that thought. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So how is it that we can lose our peace? Through our thought life. And so he's telling us if a thought comes and tries to trouble you, cast it down. What does it mean to cast it down? It means don't turn it over in your thought life. Don't let that thought in. Now, you know this, you can't stop wrong thoughts, worried thoughts, or fearful thoughts from coming because the devil can suggest them to your mind. But just because the devil suggests them to your mind, you have to to remember every thought that comes to you did not come from you. The devil will suggest thoughts to your mind. And you need to recognize that's not my thought. The enemy is trying to insert or inject that thought into my way of thinking. And when a thought comes and you recognize this thought is not going to lead me to peace, this thought is not going to produce peace, or this thought is not in line with the word of God, you're to cast it down. Well, how do you cast it down? The way you cast it down is you answer that thought. You pick up another thought in line with that. For example, if the devil were going to say to you, if he was going to suggest to your mind something like this, uh, you're not going to have enough money to pay your mortgage. What are you going to do this month? You can't get rid of that thought by thinking that thought or trying to outthink that thought. The way you get rid of it or you cast it down, did you answer it? You answer thoughts with words. And so whenever the devil would suggest you're not going to have enough money for your mortgage, you answer it and you say, devil, that's a lie. That's not my thought. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, that's how you get rid of it. And then you refuse to turn over in your thought life, what the devil said, but you keep your thoughts on what you, what the word said and what your answer was. And so that's an example of how to cast down imaginations. So when the Holy ghost said to me, all I want you doing is practicing peace. Then every thought that would have, troubled me, that would have made me anxious. Every thought that did not lead me to peace, I kicked it out. Every single thought. See, you have to practice this. You don't get good at anything without practicing it. It's the same thing in natural things. I mean, an athlete doesn't get good at his sport until he practices. A musician isn't good with their instrument until they practice. No one, even spiritually, is good at something unless they practice. The peace that Jesus left us, we have to practice using it. We have to practice staying in peace. And the way you practice it is by you cast down every single troubling thought. Every single one, you answer and you refuse to turn it over in your thought life. And so every time a thought that troubles you comes, you answer it. So for two years, I mean, I emphasized that. I put that in the very forefront of my spiritual walk. I made sure that I didn't let anything take me out of peace. Well, what happened, I ended up occupying a place in the spirit. I was walking in a place in the spirit that I had never been in before because I just refused to be troubled. Because you see, uh, peace is not simply a feeling, it's a force. I want you to know that fear or worry is not simply a feeling, it's a force, but it's a negative force. And it's a force that comes from the enemy. So when we're walking in peace, it will enable us to walk differently than other people walk. In fact, people won't understand it, and so uh, whenever, whenever God said to me, "All I want you doing is practicing peace," then when I got the report that my husband had gone home to be with the Lord, I had already been practicing the place of peace. I knew what peace felt like. I knew what the flow of peace was like, and I refused to step out of that flow. I refused to touch in my thought life. What am I going to do now? What's going to happen now? What's going to happen to the ministry? Or what about the finances? What's going to happen? I refused to let my mind go there. And I was practiced at the re- the discipline on the mind because I had taken, especially those two years before, and I had emphasized that truth of peace in my life. You know, if the devil can't steal your faith, he'll try to steal your peace. And you know, to walk in faith, you have to protect your peace. Faith has companions and peace is one of the companions of faith. And so I had practiced staying in peace. That's what kept me out of the flow of grief or the flow of sorrow. Yes, I missed my husband in the sense of uh, I didn't want him to be gone. But I knew this losing peace wouldn't bring him back. So I learned how to stay in peace. I learned how to not get into sorrow. I learned how not to grieve because I would have to leave peace to grieve. I would have to leave peace to get into sorrow. And I had just learned how to be so firm-footed in the flow of peace. So I would encourage you, begin to practice peace. To practice peace, you have to practice a disciplined thought life. You cannot just let your mind run off. And so many times, so many people have practiced. They have practiced an undisciplined thought life. They have no restraint on their mind. I mean, the devil will suggest something to them and they'll just follow that suggestion. And then they go, then they end up in all kinds of, you know, depression or they end up anxious and worried. And it's because they did not take control of their thought life. A worried mind is an undisciplined mind. A fearful mind is an undisciplined mind. We have to renew our minds with the word of God. We have to pay attention to what we're allowing our minds to think on. So many times we can uh, have a couple of weeks we've been thinking about something and not even realizing that we've been letting it in our thought life. Pay attention to your thought life if you're going to stay in peace. If a thought didn't, doesn't, uh, if it doesn't cause peace to flow in your life, resist it, reject it, answer it, refuse to let it in your thought life. Think of this. You know, the disciples, I mean, they got in the boat with Jesus. Jesus made an announcement one day. He said, "Let's go to the other side." So he got in the boat. The disciples got in the boat. Why? Because they're going to the other side. It never dawned on them that they weren't going to reach the other side. But while they were halfway out in the middle of the of the water, a storm came up at night, and it was certainly a serious storm in the sense of um, the boat started filling up with water. Now you understand a couple of these disciples, they lived their lives on the water. They were fishermen. They knew what to do when a storm came up on water. They knew the steps to take. They knew the precautions. They could read the weather patterns. So these are not men who are novices. These are men who are professional at their at, at, at being fishermen. They know what to do in a setting like this. So they're doing everything they know to do as professional fishermen to keep from going under. And finally, as a last-ditch effort, they realize we're going under. And so Peter goes over and he wakes up Jesus, who's been asleep all this time in the boat. And he says, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Listen to those words. First of all, there's a couple of things I want you to see with that. First of all, he said, Master, carest thou not. So basically, because Jesus was at peace while they were worried, he accused Jesus of not caring. Do you know that when you decide to live in peace, people who are troubled, people who are worried, people who are fearful will accuse you of not caring because you're not behaving like them? Uh, that's such a huge key. Not everyone will congratulate you on staying in peace when they're troubled. They want you as upset as they are. They want you as troubled as they are. But because we know something, when you know the word, it keeps you from going to a place of being troubled. And so this is what Peter did. He flipped back not to what Jesus had been teaching him all this time, but he flipped back to his old way of thinking and started accusing Jesus of not caring because he wasn't up being troubled like they were. So he said, carest thou not, now listen to the next phrase, that we perish. So notice this, what they thought before the storm showed up was that they were going to the, to the other side. But now the storm showed up, he says, we're perishing. So who told Peter he was perishing? you know what told him circumstances so the circumstances will try to tell you something different than what god told you jesus said they were going to the other side so when circumstances that threatened to drown them showed up what the what the disciples could have and should have done was say, we're not going to drown. We're not going to perish because Jesus said before we even got in the boat, we were going to to the other side. If they would have done that, I guarantee you the storm would have stopped. But because they didn't do that, they forgot what Jesus said that they woke up Jesus. I tell you, that's one of the huge keys to this life of faith. Remember what Jesus said when something is threatening to drown you. When something is trying to overwhelm you, when something is trying to push on you, remember what the Word said. And many times the Spirit of God has spoken something specifically to you about what you may be facing. Remember what he says to you. And when something threatens you, answer that threat with what God said to you. And so Jesus got up and he spoke to the storm. And then he turned around. After the storm had was calm and there was a cease of that storm, he turned around to the disciples and he rebuked them. Why? Because they could have done the same thing if they would have just remembered what Jesus said. We're going to the other side. But they let circumstances change what they believe. Now notice this is so huge in the life of faith. Don't let circumstances change what you believe. They believed they were going to make it to the other side before the storm showed up. But they let the storm change what they believed. Listen, before, he, before symptoms and before pain showed up, you believe you're the healed. Don't change what you believe just because symptoms show up. Still believe that you are the healed. Hold fast to that and answer those symptoms with, I am the healed. And calling, calling your body well. And so don't change what you believe just because circumstances show up. Now you'll remember, now this is the type of peace that governed Jesus. See, peace governed Jesus in that boat. The storm did not govern him. Peace governed him. The fear of the disciples did not govern him. The peace governed him. And remember remember what he said in the book of John? He said, my peace I leave with you. The same peace that governed him, he left it with you. It's in you. You don't have to pray to get it. He already put it in you. It is a fruit of the spirit that abides in you. Draw on that peace. The thing is that just because it's in you, it won't dominate you unless you draw on it. So as you draw on it, then that peace can dominate you. Let's look at another time that peace dominated Jesus. Remember that Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, he preached uh, the spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me. And when he preached that, it made the people so upset that they tried to push him off a cliff But the Bible said that he walked right through the midst of them. So notice, I mean, his very life is threatened. The people in the synagogue led him to the brow of the hill, intending to push him off the cliff. He did not get troubled. He didn't get fearful. The Bible said he just walked right through the midst of them. That even this life and death situation that he was facing, that he just walked away from it in peace. He did not lose his peace. Then remember the time... That there came a report to him that Lazarus, his friend, said is sick. And uh, notice this they wanted him to come and minister to Lazarus, but Jesus stayed right where he was for another two days. That he did not bit in a panic, in an emergency tone, get up and run all the way back with them to where Lazarus was out of a panic to, oh my goodness, he's sick, I better do something quick. The Bible said he stayed where he was at for another two days. You know, whenever you're in peace, you don't let the emergencies of situations dictate your actions. You don't run in a panic to situations. But he just stayed right where he was at. Why? Because by the Spirit, he knew that Lazarus was already dead. And of course, when he did go back to where Lazarus' grave was, of course, he spoke and Lazarus came back to life. But we still see this. What is it that made Jesus so consistent? It was his flow of peace. He stayed in peace. Remember this, that Jesus has that same peace. That same peace that governed him is in you if you're born again. Draw on it. How do you draw on it? You talk about it. You answer situations with answers of peace. You talk about peace instead of talk about worry. Talk about the peace of God is on the inside of me. I have that peace. It governs me. I'm not going to be governed by fear. I'm not going to be governed by worry. Peace refuses to respond like other people. And I want you to know it will disarm drama. <laughs> you know, so much of human humanity loves drama. There's one thing about faith people is they don't like drama, is that they don't go around and try to create drama in situations to get attention. Peace diffuses all of that and disarms it. Years ago, back in the early 80s, in fact, um, I was invited along with some other people over to uh, TL and Daisy Osborne's home. And it was, uh, if you don't know of their ministry, they had a powerful worldwide miracle ministry, a phenomenal ministry. And um, they invited us to their home. And one of the things that was the first thing I noticed when I walked into their house was that they had a magnificent garden in the backyard, and that 's the first place that I was drawn to as you were standing in their front room, you could see all the way back to their garden and so i went i didn 't walk anywhere in the house I walked directly back to that garden and looked at it. It was phenomenal and I said to Brother Osborne who was staying there I said, brother osborne your your backyard this garden is so so magnificent it 's beautiful' And he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, Nancy, he said, pay whatever it costs to buy you peace. He said, it took some time. It took some money. It took some effort to create this place. But he said, I created this place so that I would have a place that that spoke of peace. I sit in that place and I just enjoy the peace of that place. I want you to know in peace is healing. In peace is freedom from fear. In peace is freedom from worry. Peace is a beautiful garden that will produce wonderful things in your life. Whatever it costs, protect your peace. Jesus paid for it. Now protect it. Do not exchange or give up or sell off your peace to worry, to fear, or to any circumstance that tries to push on your life. If you lose your peace, you'll open the door to the devil. Now, the Holy Ghost told me, told us that night in that healing service, he said there are three ways that people lose their peace. Number one is worry. Number two is fear. Number three is doubt. Now, notice, really, all of these are children of of fear. Fear produces worry. Fear produces doubt. And so I want to read to you what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The Amplified Translation says, Do not fret. Or have any anxiety about anything. Now, listen to the firmness of that command. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Well, that would certainly apply to the time that we're living in with all this epidemic threat, do not worry about it. Do not fret. Do not be anxious about it. That doesn't mean ignore what people, what the what the um, the government has said. It means don't you lose your peace over it. Don't you be disturbed by it. Well, if we're not gonna fret, if we're not gonna be anxious about anything, what are we gonna do? The verse goes on and says, but in every circumstance, in everything, it says by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God and God's peace shall be yours. It shall mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So notice this, he's saying, instead of worrying about it, talk to God about it, put it over into his hands, take that situation and cast it into his hands and let him work on it. Now, when it says do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, do you know that that anything would mean anything maybe that was your fault? You know, sometimes things come against us that aren't our fault. The devil's just attacking or something has happened that's outside of our control. But sometimes we did things and it's our own fault. But notice, do not fret even about things that you did that are your own fault. Don't fret or be concerned about anything. Now, uh, it says in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, the Amplified Translation says, Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. So the reason the way that we can protect our peace is anything that tries to worry us or trouble us we take it and we put it into his hands as long as it's in his hands he can work on it that's why it says that you cast it into him, uh, you cast it on him once and for all that means put it into his hands and then don't take it back again Don't put it into his hands and then walk away and pick it back up from him. No, we cast it over on him and we leave it there. We don't pick it up and put it back in our hand whenever we're going to walk off from that place of prayer. No, we leave it with him. He can't fix something till it's in his hands. That is a huge key for you to understand. If you're worried about it, it's a sign it's not in his hands it's a sign it's in your hands. If you're concerned about it, that's a sign it's in your hands. It's not in his hands. If you're fearful over something, that's a sign that it's in your hands. It's not in his hands. It has to be in his hands. And if it's his if it's in his hands, you're not worried about it. You're not concerned about it. You're not fearful over it because it's not in your hands. So, you have to put it into his hands. And God says not to worry about it because why? There's a penalty with worry. Not to be fearful. There's a penalty with fear. Now, the penalty doesn't come from God, but it's an open door to the devil. The devil, worry, fear, and doubt, and all these things carry a penalty. And the penalty is that it opens the door to the devil. And the devil can attack you then. Now, I remember something that happened Years ago, I was probably about uh, eight years old Um, in our town in Altus, Oklahoma. You know, we didn't have a lot of big social events or, you know, a lot of things to do there in town. And so uh, one year when I was about eight years old, a carnival came to town. Well, my parents both worked and so they couldn't take me, but a neighbor came And, uh, they, they invited me to go to the carnival with them. And so I ran in and I asked my mother if I could go to the carnival with them. And she said, yes. And so she gave me a quarter. And, uh, so that was what I had to spend at the carnival. Well, I wasn't interested in the rides. You know, I didn't like the rides at the carnival. I'm not, I'm not a fast ride person. And so I wasn't interested in getting a ride, but I held on to my quarter and I found a jewelry booth. Now that was worth finding. And so here I was eight years old and, uh, I loved jewelry even back then. And so I took my quarter up to the counter there at the carnival and I, laid it down. And I said, what can this quarter buy me? And the man pointed to these spools of gold chain that was on his countertop. And he said, it can buy you a necklace with a charm put on it. And so I go, that's great. I will buy that. And so of course, this really exclusive gold chain, he pulls off the spool of gold Chain here, and he unwinds it, you know, and cuts me just enough to go around the, you know, the length of my neck. And I mean, the the links on that chain were so tiny and they were so thin. I mean, I mean, they were so small, and it was flimsy. You know, you could if you gave it one really, really hard pull, it wouldn't take much to break that thing apart. But I was thrilled with my necklace that had a charm on it, and so I slept in that. I didn't take that thing off for anything. Well, you can imagine after several weeks, there were knots all in this chain. And so I it was hard to take it off because the clasp on that chain was so small. And when you're eight years old, I mean, your fingers don't work good on those small things. So I had gotten that chain off and I was um, trying to unknot it. But the way I was trying to unknot it was to jerk out the knots. Well, you know that jerking on that chain did not take the knots out. And so, I, uh, and so I was there in the house, and I was trying to get this undone. And so my mother walked in and asked me what I was doing. I showed her, well, I'm trying to get these knots out. And so she said, hand it to me. And so I did. I handed it to her. And when I handed it to her, she took out a straight pin, and she started taking the point of that pin and working the links of that chain apart because that, that straight that straight pin was really the only thing small enough to reach in there and and undo that so she undid it and she was undoing all the different knots in it and she got she got to the very last knot and she had gotten that to where it was loose, but it wasn't completely undone. And so I was so excited that I wanted to undo it myself. So I said, give it to me, give it to me. And I took it back and I thought, I want to, you know, I want to do the last part of of unknotting it. And so I, I tried to unknot it and I just started the same old, the same old wrong action and I started jerking on it and jerking on it. And so, of course, what it did, it put the knot back in it. And so Mother just stood there, and then she held out her hand, and she said, If you'll leave it in my hands, I'll finish the work. But if you're going to take it back, I can't finish it. Well, that is a huge cue to us and a huge instruction to us. If We can put something in God's hands, but if we don't leave it there, He can't finish the job. So this is what Peter was telling us: cast the whole of your care into his hands. And it says, for he cares for you. That means he's working on it. If you'll put it in his hands, he will take care of it. And don't take it back. Leave it there once and for all. Don't take it back. And so this is what we have to understand: is that for God to work on something, it has to be in his hands. If we're worried it's in our hands. It's a sign we've taken it back from him. So what you do, you say, Father, forgive me for worrying. I commit this back into your hands. I refuse to worry about it. And you know, later in the day, if you find yourself worrying about it, uh uh-oh, you took it back. Say, Father, forgive me for worrying about this. I'm going to take it out of my hands, put it back into your hands. I cast the care over on you. So that's what you do with worry. Now, the second thing is that the Holy Ghost told us that night that We can open the door or lose our peace through worry and through fear. So we know this, the word tells us um, that God's not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. You have to understand this, that the devil has no power except the power of suggestion. He will suggest a fearful thought. And if he can get you to accept that fearful thought, then that will open the door to him to attack you. So why do people become fearful? Is because they listen to the wrong thing and then they believe the wrong thing. If there's any part of you that's fearful about something, you're believing the wrong thing about something. So we have to make sure that we don't let fear in. Sometimes people can be in fear and not even realize it. I remember hearing the testimony This was probably about 30 years ago. No, I take it back. It would have been about 35 years ago that um, I heard the testimony of a woman that she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. They gave her three weeks to live and it was an aggressive, quick working cancer. And uh, she began getting hold of the word of God and quoting that word. And do you know, she's still alive today. It's been over 35 years, she's still alive today. But I remember listening to her testimony, and she says, I don't know why that cancer came on me. She says, I prayed against it every day for 10 years. Well, that's why it came on her. Because in fear, she believed and she thought that she might get cancer, so she prayed against it. And the fear of that is what opened the door for it to come on her. And that's what I want you to see. Just because fear is spoken in the guise of prayer doesn't make it faith. That you can, you can speak words of fear. And even if you put it in the form of a prayer, it's still fear. And so many times people don't even realize that they're operating in fear. That the way they're handling their finances is based on fear. The way they're handling their marriage is based on fear. Or the way they're handling their, their children is based on fear. And so we have to make sure that we're not in fear. Fear is a spirit. It's not simply a feeling. It's a spirit. And when you sense fear, when you feel fear, speak to it. Say, fear, I resist you in Jesus' name. I refuse to fear. And when you do that, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, the third thing that opens the door to you losing peace is that the Holy Ghost said to us is this word doubt. I remember something that Dr. Sumrall said. He said, feed your faith and starve your doubts. So the more you feed on the word of God, the more it's going to run doubt out of your life. And if thoughts of doubt come, answer them. Say, doubt, I refuse you. I refuse to doubt. So we can see this, that the primary way we can open the door to the devil, give place to the devil, is through worry, through fear, through doubt. And so we have to make sure we run those out of our lives so we can protect our peace. Peace is... Keeps the door closed to the enemy, but the loss of peace opens the door, and we can lose our peace through worry, fear, and doubt. Now, um, we ha- I want to read to you what Isaiah 26 verse 3 says. It says, "Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee, because he trusteth in Thee." So I want you to see this: How is God able to keep us in perfect peace? God's job is to keep us in perfect peace. Our job is to do something with our mind. What is it? As long as we keep our mind on the word, as long as we keep our mind full of the word, thinking about what what God says and what he's told us, then God's word can hold us in peace because he wants us to have a peace that is uninterrupted. Amen. Now, that day... Uh, When I was in that healing service, the Holy Ghost told us there's three primary ways that we can open the door to sickness or failure, any kind of defeat on our life. We can open the door to the devil uh, to where we can be attacked with sickness, whatever. And uh, the first way was to lose our peace. The second way that we can open the door to the devil is the Holy Ghost told us that night is to veer from the plan of God. I tell you, the the peace of God, the life of God, the health of God, the provision of God, everything that God's provided for us is associated with His plan. If we leave His plan, we leave His best. If we leave His plan, we leave health. If we leave His plan, we leave prosperity. Because all of God's best is tied to His plan. So if somebody decides that they're going to set aside God's plan and go their own way that that is an open door to the devil, that the devil will be able to attack them. Now, they may still quote the word, but it's not going to work for them the same because they're in disobedience to the plan of God. So God said this statement to me. He said, make my people to know that long life is connected to my plan. As a minister, I have to carry out the plan of God for our ministry. And as I do, then my health is is kept safe. God can keep me safe. Uh, I can't decide I don't want to be in the ministry anymore. I decide that and I'm going to veer from health because I have to stay in God's plan to stay in God's best. So the blessings of God are in the direction of God's plan. The blessings of God are conditional. That means you have to stay with what the conditions that God gives. It says here in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25, it says, You shall serve the Lord your God. And he shall bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. So notice this. The first phrase is you shall serve the Lord your God. You can't serve your plan and serve God too. You have to serve God's plan to serve God. So notice this, that to fulfill the plan of God is to stay in a place where he can protect your health. To get out of the plan of God is an open door to the devil. So we have to understand this, that he has, God has paths for us to take. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Amplified says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the new man, the new creation in Christ. Born anew that we may do those good works which God planned beforehand for us. See, before we were ever born, God, God created a plan for our lives. Now, once we're born again, now we're in position to fulfill that plan. And then the Amplified goes on and says, Taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. So notice this, when we're on His path, then we can live the good life. I tell you what, a sick body is not living the good life. A broke financial situation is not living the good life. Stay in God's plan for your life. That's where the blessings of God are. And that's the condition for receiving God's best in our life. If we leave His plan, we leave the good life. Listen, you need to begin to say what the Word says. I delight to do your will and that's what i tell god when when uh, he asks me to do or commands me to it's it's a command anything god command anything god says it's a command for us and uh, when god instructs me to do something i even if my flesh doesn't want to do it i say father i delight to do your will why because i want to stay in the in the will of god cuz that's where the blessings of god are you know, Jesus made, it said, it said about Jesus, it said that uh, he loved the will of God, that he fulfilled the will of God. And uh, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He was saying basically my nourishment, the thing that sustains me. Meat is a form of, of nourishment. It's going to sustain you physically. He's saying what sustains me and nourishes my physical life is that I do the will of God. And so he's saying, as long as I'm in the will of God, there's nothing that can harm me. And that's the same thing with us. As long as we stay in the will of God, we're kept safe. The third thing that the Spirit of God spoke to us that night in that healing service. Now, you remember he gave us three ways that we can open the door to the devil to attack us. Number one was the loss of peace. Number two is to veer from the plan of God. Number three, this one surprised me, but I so appreciate that he gave it to us. He said that the third way that my people open the door to the devil is through lack of gratitude. Now think of that, the lack of gratitude. I want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48 in the Amplified. It says this, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness of mind, with joyfulness of mind and heart. In gratitude for the abundance of all with which he has blessed you, therefore you shall serve your enemies. So it's letting us know that if we'll stay grateful, if we'll keep keep being thankful and worshiping God for all the things he's done, that it will keep the door closed to the devil. Listen, what you're not grateful for, the devil will steal from you. What you're not thankful for, the devil will steal from you. That if you will say, Father, I thank you. If you'll thank God every day for your health, the devil can't steal it. If you'll thank God every day for the abundance of prosperity that he's blessed you with, the devil can't steal it from you. If we complain, if we gripe, if we murmur, all those things will open the door to the devil to steal from us because it's a lack of gratitude. Gratitude keeps us in possession of what God has blessed us with. I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. The Amplified says this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. So he's telling us constantly and at all times. If we make it a flow of our life, it means it's to be a habit of our everyday life is just be thanking God and being worshipful and grateful to God for what he's blessed us with. Listen, if you're faced with something of your body, let's say there's some physical condition in your body that's hurting, that's not working. If you'll, instead of complaining about what doesn't work, say, Father, I thank you for my body. I thank you that it works. I thank you for the part that does work. I'm so grateful. And because there's a part that does work, Father, I thank you for healing for all of my body. I want you to see this, that gratitude will hold you in a place of healing. And gratitude will hold you in a place of health. But to start complaining and to start murmuring about what's gone wrong will keep the door wide open to the devil to attack you. I just want you to know that praise is a language of gratitude. So keep praising God. Uh, I, I I so appreciate something that the Spirit of God said to me a couple of years ago. He said, "In the rejoicing, power flows." Well, what's he saying? With That when we're rejoicing, the power of God can flow. But if, if that's the case, then the opposite would be true. In the complaining, God's power can't flow. In the complaining, uh, God's ability can't reach your need. And so we have to make sure that we stay in a flow of gratitude. I'll close with this, that there is a uh, testimony of a woman that she began attending this church. And this pastor told me about her that, he says, I wasn't real, uh, I wasn't acquainted uh, with her at all, of course, when she ke- first came to the church. And he said, when I would mention Jesus as the healer or have a healing line or minister to the sick, he said, anytime I mentioned anything about healing, no matter where, where we were in the service, she would stand up and she would quietly, not in a way that disturbed, but she would quietly start lifting her hands and worshiping Jesus. And he said, after a period of time, I remember asking her, I said, sister, I said, I noticed that any time that I mentioned Jesus as the healer or something to do with healing, you always worship. And he said, can I ask you about that? And she said, yes, pastor. She said, 15 years ago, I was dying of cancer. And she said, "Um, Jesus healed me of that. And she said, I never can hear him referred to as the healer without me remembering what he did for me, and me lifting my hands and being grateful and worshiping him as my healer. I tell you, that's how she kept her healing. That's how she kept the door closed to the devil to where he could not put back on her what Jesus had delivered her from. So I want to encourage you today. There are three things that we have to make sure is in place in our life. If we do, it keeps the door closed to the enemy. And if something is out of place, by doing these three things, they'll go back into place. And so the first thing, say it with me, the first thing is that we don't lose our peace. Now, there's three ways that I gave you that we can lose our peace. And that is through worry, fear, and, uh, worry, fear, and doubt. So those are the three ways that we can lose our peace. The second way that we open the door to the devil is is through veering from the plan of God for our life. And the third way that we, that we can open the door to the devil is through the lack of gratitude. So make sure that all these three things are in place in your life. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have your prescription for our success, that as we stay in peace, that as we stay in your will, and we stay living a life of gratitude. That the door to the enemy is closed shutly again. Shut, closed tight. It's uh, shut tightly against him. In Jesus' name, we're so grateful, Father, that we are not the devil's victim. He cannot do to us anytime, anything, anytime he wants. We are his master and we have dominion and authority over him. And we thank you for showing us how to walk free and live free every day of our life in Jesus name. Amen. So I want to remind you about that. Put those things in place. Don't just be hearing what I've talked about. Put them in place every day of your life. Protect your peace every day of your life. Love the will of God. Stay in the will of God. Purpose to stay in the will of God. Do all that God commands of you. And number three, uh, live a life of gratitude. Be grateful. Hallelujah. Uh, At the end of every service, what we normally do, and so we want to go ahead and do it today as well, is we receive a second offering. And uh, for those of you who are not a part of our congregation but you watch partners or you watch online we do this the first one the first offering first offering we received earlier was for ties and offerings but this is for special projects and our church family, we're always doing something. And though we should be because the word says always abounding in the works of the Lord. That's what we're doing. We're always abounding. And so we will always want to be a part of these things financially. So for our church family, this is one way uh, that this is one time rather that we will go ahead and receive an offering for our building. We're believing God for our building to be paid off. And... Uh, that's that's part of what we're releasing our faith for as a congregational family, that our building be paid off in full. So this this offering we're designating toward the building. And so, of course, you can give online. You can give by text to give. And the texting to give, you're going to use the code for the building, which is uh, BLDG. And so we want to make sure that you code that correctly so that it can go toward that. And so right now, we want you to go ahead and prepare that offering. And as you do, you can uh, be, be be sure you release your faith. It's not just about giving. It's also releasing your faith when you give. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to have this time together. And as a church family, we're still tending to the things that are part of what we're believing believing for and part of what the mission is for. And Father, we believe for our billing to be paid off, and we're we're thanking you that we can be a part of that. So we release our faith together today, and as we give, we declare together that my God shall supply all my needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Listen, we want to hear about your praise reports. Let us know, we have heard some phenomenal testimonies of what God has done for people financially, what he's done for their jobs, the new jobs that he's given them. We want to hear about what God's done for you. Also, if you had prayer requests, Uh, you can go to our website and let us know how we can pray for you. There's a place for you to enter in a prayer request. So let us know about that. Church family, just because we don't get to see your face doesn't mean we don't want to release our faith for you. We still want to believe with you. And so we're just so thankful for this time together with you. We love you with all of our hearts. And we look forward that we'll get, to, we'll get to be together again soon to see you face to face. We miss you. We love you. And keep believing God. And uh, we're believing that it will be a time of increase for us, not a, a time of subtraction, that the blessing of God will be multiplied to us. In Jesus' name, God bless you. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at Dufresne Ministries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings Share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.